John Bleasdale, we are talking on May the 5th. Glasgow Rangers are playing RB Leipzig. If Rangers do hold on to win, and, and we will know the score by the time this finishes, how many people, roughly, will you send congratulatory text messages to? I will send a few. I mean, um, I'm one of a minority of Aberdeen fans who actually want to do pretty well in Europe, to be fair, because I look at the Scottish football um, bracket. The better our teams do in Europe, the higher we go up in the um, coefficient, as you know. Um, So, no, I've got a few um, Rangers supporting friends. I mean, it's no secret that Aberdeen and Rangers fans, you know, there's a rivalry there between the the two clubs, but at the end of the day, it's football. You know, rivalry gets left on the pitch as far as I'm concerned. If if I was to not like people because they support a different team, I wouldn't have many friends. It's as simple as that. <laughs> football is football, and I'm taking next year exactly. off. I'm taking a sabbatical from top-level football, which does include the World Cup. I, I don't really care. I care in as much as I've spoken to fans of about 75 English clubs. So I know people from all these clubs uh, who, <laughs> who all have their heroes and villains and stories... Uh, Aberdeen have all these storied stories, but more before you were born. Obviously, your Twitter handle has an 81 in it. So I suppose you only know secondhand the tales of Fergie's heroes. Yeah, I mean, I only um, started supporting the club in the 89-90 season. That was my first year getting into football. Um, so when I turned nine, I got a few Aberdeen things from my, um, my birthday um, the away strip and the tracks that are cracking on both tracks um, back then um, and I got given the Aberdeen Team of the Decade video which had just been released which mm-hmm. commemorated the achievement city so that was the first hand that I knew of how good we were back then but I know I was only two when um, we were in in Gothenburg so I don't have any recollection obviously it was, it was very fun researching Fergie at 80 and really looking closely at the Aberdeen <laughs> years reading Michael Crick's account uh, and his own accounts of what was going on in Aberdeen. And he really... What Brian Clough did with Nottingham Forest, Alex Ferguson did at Aberdeen. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people underappreciate the job that Alex Ferguson, sorry, so Alex Ferguson did at Aberdeen. You know, before he arrived, the last side that won the Scottish Premier League was Kilmarnock, or the main Scottish side, was Kilmarnock in 1965. He rocked up in 78, and two years, within two years, Aberdeen won the league. And Aberdeen hadn't won the league since 55. So he's done 25 years, and you know, within eight years he was at Aberdeen, we won 10 major trophies, and I think overall Aberdeen have won 19. So I think that just tells you um, how much you know what he's done for Aberdeen has just been incredible. And to, in Europe, you know, you got to remember back in in those days as well, Johnny. It was obviously a different, different era. The year before Aberdeen won. The Cup Winners' Cup, it was Barcelona. The year after, it was Juventus. She still had some top sides there. And, of course, we beat Bayern Munich in the quarterfinal and beat Real Madrid in the final, and it was still a decent Real Madrid side. Um, so I don't think that sort of thing can be underestimated. No, it, it's just a shame that his triumphs, including, what is it, four finals, four Champions League finals and two wins with Man United, just outclasses it. Um but we're up to 1986. Alec Ferguson has to go back to Aberdeen, having stepped up to be Scotland manager at the 86 World Cup, where he didn't do himself any favours, apparently, by not selecting some of the best players. In comes the hero of your book, uh, Andy Roxburgh, whom I know as a top, top coach. And he was the guy who was in charge right the way through to Euro 92. So this was a different era 
of Scotland than it was nowadays. So take me back to kind of 1991, just before the Euro. The Roxburgh story is fascinating um, because he was the technical director of the SFA at the time and he'd done well with some youth teams like he took... Um, he took, he took the youth team, which included Pat Nevin and Paul, um, a young Paul McStay, to European Championship glory um, back in 81, 82. Um, and then the following year, they qualified them, the under-20 side, for the World Cup in Mexico, to which Steve Clark scored the winning goal against um, the hosts in front of 100,000 people in the Aztec, which took them into the quarterfinals, where they subsequently went out. So there was pedigree, but not many people knew of him. And it took him a while to get going. We qualified for Italian 90, but unfortunately, Italian 90, as you know, we lost to Costa Rica. And we were pretty much out after one game. Although we beat Sweden, we then lost to Brazil and we were out. So we went into that campaign in 1991 to qualify for year 92, almost in a bit of apathy. And it was told by 12,000 people turned up at Hamden for the first Amazing. game against Romania. So it's like a Queen's yeah. Park game. Well, a bit more than that, to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I mean, more people would have went to see like Aberdeen, Hibs and Hearts on the Saturday than they would have seen Scotland in that Wednesday night, but also it was on TV as well. But they got off to a good start. I think winning those first two games against the Romania and Switzerland was key because um, it got fans back on side a wee bit more and we ended up qualifying. The, the key result was going to Switzerland and drawn 2-2. We were 2-0 down in that game. Um, but we rallied in the second half. Rossborough saw them celebrating at half-time, thinking that the job was done, used it as motivation. Um, and then Gordon Jury and Alan McCoy salvaged a draw at the game, a deserved draw. And we ended up, and then we ended up qualifying. And qualifying, that's the thing about the group we had as well. We had a Romania side who went on to the World Cup quarterfinals in 94, Switzerland, um, who were in the last 16, and then Romania, Scotland, along with England and six other teams, qualify for Euro 92. And if you want to hear a perspective from each of those teams, including Alan Smith, the England striker, who always gets left out of conversations about great strikers. But for his era, I mean, you don't play for England and be a bad striker. And he was very in form, um, leading the line for Arsenal. And you talk to him extensively about England's time at the tournament and because I want this to be more about Scotland I just want to ask the question the story in the English papers was turnips and Swedes how did the Scottish media react to how England were getting on um <laughs> yeah I think we had a good chuckle at it I don't we didn't go with those personal um headlines to be fair you know as I said to Alan you also had the chat it, it was getting a bit personal material and I think some of the stuff was um you know, borderline aggressive to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it was um yeah, we did have a good chuckle, there's no doubt about it. I mean one of the chapters that I sent you, um our match commentator Jock Brown, um, from BBC Scotland, um, said that his highlight of the tournament was going to Stockholm and um, watching Sweden beat England. So I think that just sums most of it up to be honest. Yeah. And it was quite disgraceful. I, I talked to a chap earlier. And he said Graham Taylor was such a nice, kind man and he was just eaten by the job. And at that time, there was a circulation war between the sun and the mirror. It was who could be the nastiest. Um, and England were... Taylor wanted to get the best out of Gascoigne and we couldn't. 
And what I look at with that Scotland side is there is no Gascoigne figure. There is no nasty figure. I mean, you might have a world-class goalkeeper, the goalie, Andy Gorham, but it's a good group of pros. I mean, Richard Goff is many things, but I've never heard him be called world-class. Richard Goff was probably as close close than we had to world-class player at that point in that squad. He was a superb leader. He was a superb captain um, of that Scotland team. Um, even though he didn't always get on with Andy Roxburgh, the manager, Andy was still honest enough to say, he's the best um, captain for the job. He's going to be my captain. It doesn't matter if we fall out as long as it's for only over football. Um, so I think that just shows how much respect he has. And the two of them had a major fallout the following year, unfortunately. Um, but having spoken to them both, their ambition was just for Scotland to do well. But we had, we had a good, we had a good, um, honest, hard-working group that would work hard for each other. Um, you know, we'd were into a brick wall for each other. But there was also some decent enough quality in that squad. You know, I've mentioned Richards. Morris Malpass had played in the UEFA Cup final for Dundee United a few years ago and won the title with Dundee United as a youngster. Stuart McKinney had won a couple of titles with Aberdeen. Four Rangers players, including Gorham and Goff, as I said before, um, you know, won the double that year with Rangers. And they had Alan McCoy, who was the European Golden Boot winner. You had Paul McStay, who um, arguably didn't fulfil his potential, but he was a top player. Um, as well Pat Nevin was a decent player Brian McClare's an odd one because for Manchester United he was brought for Scotland he was absolutely hopeless at times <laughs> so I mean we did have a decent enough group there as you say we didn't have a world class talent and maybe if England had a Paul Gascoigne in that two of them might have done better but Gaza was obviously injured at the yes, time because he broke his leg against um, against not in the Forest in the Cup final but she should have been taken off or it would be bad yep yeah, yeah, and then he had. Well, you were at the age because you were born in the early eighties, so you will have seen the Gascoigne Circus roll into Scotland. Did Ab- Did you ever see him play? I didn't see him live, um, but in ninety six he scored two great goals against teams that I love. So from a club level, he scored a wonderful run um, for Rangers and ran from the halfway line. He was dead in his feet at this point. But he managed to find something to go on a wonderful run and then curl the ball past Michael at the top corner um, to basically give Rangers eight in a row at that point. And then a month later, he scores that goal at Wembley, which we just won't talk about. But you have to say it was a great goal. Moments after Gary Mack, currently Aston Villa's assistant and doing quite well, had missed the penalty. And I remember <laughs> I, that was my tournament. Your tournament was... Italia 90, my tournament was Euro 96, it came home, we went out on penalties against the Germans. But uh, Scotland were already out, England had come up against Scotland, I wasn't jingoistic, nationalistic, um, and I wanted Scotland to do well as well. In fact, Scotland-Brazil, the opening game of the 98 World Cup, um, which um, we might talk about the 98 World Cup, but I want to keep... um, conversation on Scotland's Swedish adventure and I now turn to the famous Tartan Army. I didn't even know you had a magazine. Tell me about it. magazine originally came out in, in 2005 um, and it was paper, paper sold at that time and it was doing really well. It did particularly well when Scotland um, went to Paris and won um, in 2007. So it was really doing well at that point. And then it was, before I got involved there was a a few things behind the scenes which I can't talk about. Um, but then I started writing for them and then it went away for a bit. When the pandemic hit, you know, you've got a wee bit more time in your hands, you know, more opportunities to speak to people online as we're doing. We started getting the ball rolling to get it um, out again in, you know, 
through that, I've managed to speak to some great people, like Craig Brown, um, Andy Roxburgh. Craig Brown was Roxburgh's assistant. Yes, yes, um, and then obviously managed the team. So I talked to him about Year 92 and Year 96 specifically, um, and, and Craig did the board from a book on my ad as well. Yes. Absolutely wonderful guy, um, got nothing but respect for him. Um, I spoke to Kevin Gallagher, I spoke to Rory Hamilton, the commentator as well, I spoke to Ian Crocker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been going really well, and um, yeah, I just love writing about Scotland, to be honest. There's always a story with Scotland. If it isn't about the Glasgow clubs, it's about the Dundonian clubs, the Edinburgh clubs. I was in Edinburgh 2006 to 2011, and the story every week was Stephen Presley threatening to walk out on the owners, and it was just a soap opera. And every time I watched football beamed up from England, it was like watching a foreign league. It really, it's strange watching the Premier League in Scotland because the newspapers always lead on Celtic and Rangers. And then a few pages inside the paper, it's, oh, and Arsenal won again. So it was a really weird place, a wonderful place to study Edinburgh. And I have visited um, Stirling, Perth, Pitlochry, Aberdeen, Dundee, Glasgow, Millport. So I've seen Scotland. I haven't been up to the Highlands. I haven't been up to Inverness. I've been to Inverness for a game. I've been to Aberdeen. I had my stag doing that. No, that was great fun. Um, in terms of um, the media up here, they don't talk or um, do our game enough service, in my opinion. Um, they're too focused on two teams, and that's got to change. There are more than two teams in Scotland. There's always a story, whether you're Aberdeen, Arbroath, there's also been a story this season. Um, yes. You know, Strimna. Every, team, every team's got a story to tell, and we don't do enough. Um, our media do not do enough to talk about the governing bodies, um, especially Neil Donk and SPFL, do not talk up our game enough. They talk it down too much and that's why we end up with a crap TV deal there's um, we're quick to um, jump when the likes of um, Jamie O'Hara who probably hasn't watched a game of Scottish football ever come out and slide, slide it off we're good to come out and defend it then but on the whole it doesn't get talked up enough and there's a uniqueness about Scottish football whilst it's not elite level there's a lot of entertainment and things going on and I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this, Johnny. I would rather watch Command vs. Ambrose on a Friday night than um, an elite top six game between you know, Man City and Arsenal. just doesn't appeal to me. Here, here, And I will, I'll watch a lot of championship football and non-league football next year, but maybe I'll tune into the Fit Bar, which is like football, but Scottish. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about Arbroath. Are they going to go up? They still can. They also didn't um, <clears throat> do enough to win the championship. Command beat them on the penultimate day in... Which meant Kilmarnock couldn't be caught. Um, but for a part time side like Arbroath, who are the only part time team in the Championship, they're up against nine full time sides and they were still second best. Um, they can still get promoted um, by the playoff. Um, they will play the winners of Inverness versus Party Thistle, of which Inverness are currently two one up, going into their home leg. And if they come through that home and away tie, then they will come up against the second bottom of the Scottish Premiership. It's a nonsense that that's the playoff system that we've got. The second bottom of the league can still survive. Now, I know that worked to Aberdeen's advantage in 1985. Mm. Um, but, you know, in this setup, we're basically third and fourth in this Scottish Championship have to play six games to get up. And second bottom of the Scottish Premiership only get to play two. It's ridiculous. It's. Another reason why the game is great, but the industry is awful. And we know why. We know why the top teams only play two games. And it's money. It's like anything. 
And it's it's yeah, all it's, the more power to the Scottish Football Forum, scottishfootballforums.co.uk. And I'm so sorry that I didn't know this existed. Um, I'm less annoyed with myself because the podcast has been going for now 11 seasons, over 60 podcasts. Your children must only hear you from inside a room because the amount of podcasting and recording that you've done in the last year, plus all the football games, plus the Euros last year. How old are the kids? Well, my um, oldest one is seven, and my youngest one is just over a year and a half, so he'll be two in August. The seven-year-old is going to have so much fun with the. Well, is it difficult explaining how many people have died building these stadiums that Scotland might play in to a (laughs) seven-year-old? Or aren't you saying anything? I haven't said much. See, to be fair, Callum, that's my oldest one, is, um, he's only just really getting into football. I took him to his first Scotland game against uh, Moldova last September. I also took him to the Israel game. Um, and what a great first football moment that is to see Scotland Tomlin score the winner um, in 92 minutes. It was just an unbelievable experience. More unbelievable the fact that because I went to the game with my mum, my sister, my sister's two kids. They left bang on 90 minutes to, to beat the trap. And they always do that. My son said to me, Dad, we'll need to go now. We'll need to go to the cast. There's no can. We'll stay at the, the we'll stay at full time because you just never know what's going to happen again. And then they told me they scored, and on the way back to Cowes, that was the best night ever, and things like that. It was just that's why you stay at the end. <laughs> Manchester United's Scott McTominay, one of the players yeah. who have helped this unbroken chain of 4,100 games, which I write about in my book, which is also out on pitch a couple of weeks before Scotland's Swedish adventure. And it was a short adventure because it only lasted three games. But the games that Scotland played, I mean, it couldn't really get much harder than the European champions, the world champions and the combined independent Soviet nations, formerly the USSR, which was the game that Scotland actually won. So a Pyrrhic victory. The Soviets came second in Euro 88 to Holland. And there's a passage that you showed me about Maurice Malpass literally bouncing off Rude Hullet. It just went to show the quality of these Dutch players. Well, you had three world-class Dutch players playing for the same East and the European Cups. Yeah, we, we know the names. And then an emerging Dennis Bergkamp, who you knew was um, going to be world-class even at that age, and uh, Ronald Koeman had scored a winning goal for some, um, Barcelona against Sampdoria at Wembley. Yes. Um, a few weeks before the tournament. So that's five in themselves. And then you had guys like Brian Roy, who obviously spoke to him, who was a good player. Um, Rob Vitch, who was a decent player in midfield. Um, Anton Brookholm was still a top goalkeeper at that point. Um, and yeah, Morris Malpass had a bit of a um, tough experience against Ruth uh, in that first half, in that first 15 minutes. And I think we had to bring Gordon Jury to play, almost make it a 4 5 1 to help out. Um, but, and we managed to. St- Stay in the floor, but the best chance in that first half, in my opinion, was uh, that it fell to Dave McPherson. But unfortunately, it fell to Dave McPherson's left foot. Dave McPherson's a cracking lad. Um, you know, he actually had a good goal scoring record um, for a centre back. It was a great tournament, but his left foot was not what you wanted in that point. But as I said to Dave, at least you were there um, to, to have the chance yeah. <laughs> over the rest of them. I looks at the squad, the 20-man squad that Scotland... Andy Roxburgh was the manager, whom you say far ahead of his time. Um, and I'll ask exactly why shortly. But a completely new name to me as someone who didn't get football until 1996. I, beg, I know who Hugh Dallas is. 
I know um, Walter Smith managed Rangers in the 90s with that great team. I had no idea who Henry Smith was, but he's still with us. Played 450 games and more over 15 seasons for Heart of Midlothian. He was a 36-year-old man, and he was the oldest by miles. I think only him and Goff were over the age of 30. So this was, relatively speaking, a young, dynamic Scotland team who obviously linked really well with the Tartan Army. Yeah, I think the average age in Scotland when you work it out was, um, I did this stat the other day because I'm doing the countdown, so 27 was the average age in the squad. And if you look at the majority of the squad, most of them were like 28, 29, 27. Um, there were a couple of um, players in there who were under 25. So you had Derry White at 23, you had Duncan Ferguson at 20 and Alan McLaren at 20 or 21. So... They were the younger players, but yeah, I didn't realise Henry Smith was as old as that, to be honest, um, at that point. I knew he was um, Hart. He had a great season with Hearts that season. Hearts had pushed Rangers up to a point. So I knew he was the backup keeper, but I didn't realise he was as old as 36 yeah. either that time. Kevin Donnelly is someone you spoke to. Chances, <laughs> Dancers and Romances is in the football library. You've got to have a book with that title. Um, <laughs> he seems to, um, well, he's written about the Tartan Army on tour. Is there a motto for the Tartan Army? Are there certain songs or slogans that Scottish fans just repeat to one another like a secret handshake? Oh, I just think it's almost an unwritten rule. But um, when we, you know, when we're in tour, we just behave. And I think, to be fair, Euro 92 laid almost the foundations of how Scottish fans um, should behave. Because um, I think they, they probably saw what was going on with England at that time. And, you know, what, what my stress is, it's a minority England fans who are doing that at this point. Um, There's a lot of them. They must have took one, yeah. They also took one look and thought, right, we can't be associated with that. Let's um, do the opposite. And no, we just embrace going. About. I think we travel well in terms of like, we go and embrace other people. Like um, you know, if we're to go go to Germany, we'll do our best to mingle with Germany. We'll do our best to mingle with the Dutch, the Swedes, and all the rest. But it's just almost an unwritten rule, and we're admired um, worldwide for it. Um, you know, obviously they won the best supporters of year 92 it was the same France 98 I think they got an award in Belgium as well in 2001 which was um, an interest um, so yeah I think we just take great pride in it with regards to Kevin he's written another book called The Kilt um, which is a follow up to the Chancers Dancers and Romancers but all his proceeds are going to the Tatlami um, Sunshine Appeal oh, um, so and they've made 87 um, consecutive donations to charities. So basically, whenever Scotland plays someone abroad, yes. Um, last month it was Austria. Um, so an Austrian children's charity benefited. Um, so Wales will get next month if we were lucky enough to play them, and Armenia will get something as well, and the Republic of Ireland. But I think there'll be some separate for Ukraine as well. Now Wales do this too. I spoke to Tim Hartley, who's heavily involved in the Welsh fans support and that rings a big bell Wales do the same thing I don't know who did it first or if they came to it independently but it's brilliant it's just it's so easy because it is the English disease hooligan was never the British disease you don't see rampaging Aberdeen fans taking over Edinburgh because there are there are only about five of them because that's how it works but you've got a better support than you think Johnny (laughs) I I wonder, well, I know Johnny Northcroft, who's been to the football library, is a big Aberdeen fan. 
I've never had any conversations with him, but I've heard the name. Yeah, well, he's he's um, the English writer. He's Scottish, but he writes about English football. Uh, and I've had Stuart Cosgrove in the library. That was an hour that I wish would lasted ten. He is the genius. He's he's the closest thing to Danny Baker, but he's kind of Danny Baker with a PhD, and that's <laughs> that's why he's so brilliant. He's got a book coming out this year, which is going to be just sublime. Brilliant. Oh yeah, I love Stuart Cosgrove. What I like about his show and Tam Cowan is that you get two no-no firm fans who just stick in it's Celtic and Rangers they're, they're two of the few that you see in Scottish media who do that um, so yeah I've got a lot of time for sure so very intelligent man yes um, will you be invited on off the ball to talk about Scotland's Swedish adventure do you think I hope so I really hope so I, I haven't heard anything come my way but if um, if you want to um, recommend me to Stuart Cosgrove and see what he says, I would ab- happily accept that invitation. Absolutely. And I've, I've spoken to Andy Bollin, who used to write for that show. And Andy, have you read Andy's books about Scottish football? No, I haven't. Oh, you no. must. In fact, if you're at the Scottish Football Museum to launch this book on May the 30th with Hugh MacDonald in conversation, Hugh MacDonald of the Daily Mail, uh, you yeah. must seek out the gift shop because he wrote... A History of Scottish Football in 100 Objects. Oh, fabulous. That sounds like a good one. Yeah. That's great. I must that. And again, Andy is not old firm either. I was trying to imagine the England side of 1992 going to meet the very friendly uh, England fans at a campsite. And the story that you describe here, and it's, it's a well-known story about the team bus stopping off at the campsite and sharing blether there had it had a precedent i think it was unprecedented then and it's certainly not something you hear now it was just a spontaneous and and also was telling me about this that it was just a total act of um spontaneousness you know they, they were coming back from training they saw fans at campuses that like, was up stop let's go speak to them i think andy roxburgh got the scotland support um he knew just what they were like and he some at the end of the book, he said, um, "You know, we were fans before we got the, um, you know, before we were players, etc. And we'll be fans afterwards." Um, and I think that was just um, perfect. But they obviously had a great relationship. Like, the game before against Germany, the fans were waiting behind, demanding um, that he come out and speak to them. No, and it wasn't for anything bad. It wasn't like come back, oh, you, we could beat two. No, that's not good enough, etc. It was complete opposite. It was like the fans saw. That against European and world champions, we gave everything. We just liked that bit of quality. We didn't have a bear camp, didn't have a Riedel at the time. And, you know, he went out and actually spoke to him and, you know, joked that I, um, Bertie wants us to beat um, CIS. Well, no, we want to beat CIS for us. And I think they just wanted to go and thank the fans for Because Sweden wasn't cheap to get to. A lot of fans camped because the prices of hotels, etc., were extortionate. And also, it by the way, the cheapest I... way to. I learned today there was no Ryanair or EasyJet flights until the mid '90s, so it would have been pre all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go, um, you would have had to make what well, some of the stories that I got from um, the fans and how they got there were. There were occasional ones that, that flew. There were people who went through teletext holidays. Um, there was someone who went through, <laughs> ironically, seven of the eight countries. <laughs> to get to get to Sweden, wow. um, the, the, the odd one obviously being Russia. 
Yes. Uh, or CIS, sorry. Um, so it's just, um, yeah, people were going through different routes to get there, um, as you say, before EasyJet, um, etc. So it was, um, yeah, I think that story is absolutely fascinating. You couldn't imagine anyone doing it now, not in the world of technology, as much as you'd love to, to oh, see well, it. But Hang on. I think Steve Clark would do it. His team and David Turnbull, Kieran Tierney, Andy Robertson, Robbo. If there's a Scotland mm-hmm. fan with a Liverpool shirt on, it's Robbo. Yeah. What a great player. The guy who 10 years ago went, I'm basically at the job centre, is now in another European Cup final. Yeah. Um, and this, this will go out, by the way, quite close to the Champions League final. So, uh, in fact, I think I'm going to put this out uh, just after the Jubilee weekend. So your book will have been out. For a couple of weeks, it's available. Is it sixteen ninety nine? Yeah, it's um, sixteen ninety nine, and you can get it from um, directly. From, well, the, the link on pitch um, tells you exactly where you can get it. You can get it off Amazon. You can get it off uh, WH Smith. Um, you can, um, I think, Watsons are going to be selling it. So, and um, and if you want copies directly from me, my DMs are open. Um, at one is my Twitter handle. You can just um, message me and I'll see what I can do. Yes, because I haven't ordered any copies for me um, because I want the big company that doesn't pay its tax to fulfil the orders for me. But as an author, you also get, well, two things. You get your football library membership card. So you're welcome in this football library anytime you like. Oh, Beware, Johnny Nick is at the door. John Nicholson, <laughs> who writes for Football 365. Uh, he's on the front desk with his socialism and his hippiness. Um, and then you've got every edition of the famous Tartan Army magazine, audio tapes of every Scottish football forums podcast. And there are, I didn't do a count, but I guess it's over 500 now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, in, it's incredible. Um, the 11 years the podcast has been running. I've been on it since season six in 2016. That uh, was when I was asked to join. Basically how that came about was I was I was doing blog writing at the time. I wanted somewhere to put them. I approached them. Um, they said, yeah, go ahead. And then they asked me if I was come on. And I've been on ever since. We, we were doing mainly roundups of games every week. Um, and then just before lockdown, we started asking a few guests on now and then here. And then obviously when lockdown hit, there was more opportunity to do the guest specials. And we've, we've kind of gone away from just reviewing matches and we've just made shows about the guests every time. And it's been the uniqueness, you know. Like we've covered women's football, we've covered junior football, non-league football, um, all the way up to, obviously, the top flight and international. Um, but what I've really been enjoying doing is some of the international stuff. Like last year, before the Euros, I had um, like guys like Russell Osborne, from Three Lines podcast, he was great um, because also Scotland were playing England. And um, Russell Todd from Podcast Player Road came on um, from a Welsh perspective and you know spoke to journalists and stuff from the nations, the home nations, which was great. And then that led me bringing up the when the Year ninety two throwback series, which as you know had Brian Roy, Alan Smith, and by the time this gets out, um, but the next. Um, Footballer guest in that from Sweden is Champions League winner Patrick Anderson, along oh, with um, wow. Danish journalists. I don't, yeah. Was it uh, Barcelona? But, um, no, by me. By me. No, this just before my time. No excuse because I've heard of Pele, but that era of football. I I always say, yeah, my knowledge of the Russian Revolution is terrible. My knowledge of football between like 1985 and 1992 is quite atrocious. 
which is why I'm so interested in this book, Scotland's Swedish Adventure. Could you foresee any problems with pitch if you wrote another book? Would you want? To, would Would you have an idea? Firstly, and two, would you go with pitch again? I would I'd probably go with pitch again. Um, likely, I think an established um, you know brand um, without a doubt. I think that I've heard a lot of people say they're great for first time ones. I mean, they've made my life so much easier, and I've learned so much. Um, I am thinking of doing another one in a couple of years' time. I would. Um, I think what I would do next time is um, start things a bit earlier and give myself more time because I felt as though I was rushing a bit at the end. I still think I've got a good product out there. I think um, I'm really happy with what I've written. You probably know yourself, Johnny. Um, there's always going to be things that you look back and think, I wish I'd done that, wish I'd done this. Um, but I have no regrets. Everything's worked out fine. And I'm, I'm so pleased it's going to be on shelves. Hopefully it'll get down as far as Watford and I won't have to go, well, online. But also, if I went into the Waterstones in Edinburgh, in the, well, there are a couple of them there, or in Blackwells. The, the nature, David Hepworth, the journalist, said that if you're a musician, magazine covers and CD racks don't exist anymore. But the bookstore will never fade because for the last however many generations, people have turned pages in a book. And so having a physical product, um, which hopefully your youngest isn't going to tear to smithereens, um, it'll be a good bedtime story for the eldest. Yeah, oh, my oldest one is um, buzzing for me. He's actually, he actually did a wee advert thing himself, which we thought was really clever. Um, but yeah, they, um, they'll get a couple of my free copies um, they'll, um, and they'll just be put away <laughs> yes. before anything gets ripped out because my youngest is ripped um, out a page of the Gruffalo, which is not good. <laughs> um, yes. But... But no, you're right in what you say, um, you know, with regards to, you know, books always being there. It's I know you can um, read a book on Kindle without having to go and buy a book, but you can't get a same copy on Kindle. Nope. Um, well. There's just something, there's something unique about, you know, authentic about having a book in your hand to read. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, I prefer to read a book that way than um, look at my tablet. And the football library, as far as the eye can see, programmes and fanzines. Um, I have one final question. Because Scottish Football Forums is all about banter, and by the way, you can go on Twitter at SFF Podcast, Scottish Football Forums Podcast, SFF. What constitutes good banter, John Bleasdale? (laughs) Oh, God, there's a million-dollar question. (laughs) I just think, you know having a laugh with each other um, and I think we're, we're a lot of Scottish football fans are unique is that you know we get one another's culture um, you just know you just know when not to cross the line yeah. basically um, like there's a difference between bad and abuse um, quite frankly like you can take the mic out of someone for you know who they support and maybe referencing some of their past but if, as long as you're staying clear of the you know, the sectarianism, the racism and uh, all that carry on, then um, then you're absolutely fine. And uh, I see as we speak that Rangers have reached the Europa League final. Brilliant. Say, I've just checked that. A 3-1 win and they will play Eintracht Frankfurt, whom I watched because I was involved at, in a big European football organisation, which I'm not going to tell you which one it is. And I watched Frankfurt that season and I really appreciated what they were doing. So this will not be an easy final. 
No, it definitely won't. There's no easy games. You, know, you just have to. You can't write off a team that's beaten Barcelona. No, no <laughs> quite simple. And, and at New Camp as well, I may add, they were seeing up in that game. Um, it'll be a tough final for Rangers, but given what the disadvantages that are put in place to Scottish football these days, it's an incredible achievement for Rangers to get to the final. We're at the stage now. I'm glad they've got this far, but Aberdeen can always boast two European trophies, um, which is one of the rare things we have over Celtic and Rangers <laughs> because we won yep. the Super Cup as well as the Cup Cup. So I don't know if I won them or won it. <laughs> um, I spoke to Paddy Barkley a few years ago, very early on in the football library. Paddy is. Brilliant. I asked him, how do we make Scottish football great again? And he said, well, look at the Benelux countries. Look at Ajax and PSV and Belgium having the world's best national team. There is scope for it. And this, I think, apart from one green team in Scotland, this is a win for every fan of teams who are represented on the Scottish Football Forum's podcast. Um, Obviously, great for Gio van Brockhorst, who I heard, I don't know if you heard this, Man City paid him not to get another job. They wanted him... I think this is well known, because it's a good source. They wanted him to be available in case Guardiola stepped down to cruise in. So don't be surprised if Van Bronckhorst ends up at Man City. Mm, heard it here first. Mm. We'll wait and see, but that will certainly go up in his CV, without a doubt. Yeah, and um, he's, he's Gerard will give him the, the phone call tomorrow. It almost rubs Celtic's noses in it because Celtic have more or less run away with the title now and it's theirs, just barring a horrible, horrible collapse. So it's Celtic winning the league, Rangers getting into a European final. Are you tempted to go with all your Rangers supporting friends to the final? Absolutely not, no. Um, no, That's for for Rangers supporters. Could you imagine an Aberdeen supporter in amongst Rangers fans? I think I wouldn't be allowed to show my face in Aberdeen again. So tell me, um, so, so no. uh, fine, and that, that was a stupid question. So how will the Scottish media broadcast the final? Is it going to be free to air? Is it going to be on STV? Well, BT have the contract, mm. but I, I'm pretty sure as part of the contract they have to put it on one of their live channel, their free channels. So... I don't know because I don't have BT Sports. I've not seen any of it apart from highlights on YouTube. So, but hopefully, um, hopefully, we'll be able to get to watch the final. And by the time this discussion goes out, we will know if Rangers have beaten Eintracht Frankfurt and thus will qualify as well as Celtic for the Champions League. Two Scottish teams in the Champions League. Not bad for a ten-pot country, Johnny. That um, it seems to be perceived down there. <laughs> I'll drink attendance to that. Just like the library, just like the library.